0: Hi, John Kavakis here. I'm one of the pastors at Warrington Bible Fellowship. I just want to thank you for joining us today. If you heard last week's sermon, it was about the dangers of an empty house. Well, This week we're going to hear about the fact that a dark house can be dangerous as well. So, our sermon for today is What Are You Letting In? out of Luke chapter 11. Let's join the service in progress. I'd like you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter eleven. We're going to be in verses twenty-seven through thirty-six today, and I want to open with this. If we go back to Exodus, and we take a look at what happened just prior to the Jews leaving Egypt, uh, we find that Egypt is beset with a series of plagues, and each one of them gets worse and worse and. Pharaoh's hardening his heart and saying, no, you can't go. Yes, you can just remove these plagues and constantly reversing himself. And we get to the ninth plague. And the ninth plague is a plague of darkness. And I, I just want to read this description to you. This is out of Exodus 10, starting with verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt this is a tangible darkness it goes on to say in verse 22 so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in the land of Egypt three days they did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days but all the people of Israel had light where they lived I don't know how that works that the people of Israel had light, but the other people were in darkness. You would think there would be some bleed over. But this is a darkness, it was so dark, it was disorienting. The people didn't go out, they didn't move about. And I don't know if you've ever been in that type of darkness, but have you've ever been locked up in a room with no windows and no lights, you, you kind of get to the point real quick where you don't know what's up and what's down and what's left and what's it's and You're kind of afraid to move. It's a type of darkness that Egypt was experiencing. Uh, it's supernatural darkness. It is, there's no starlight, there's no moonlight, there's nothing to gain your orientation by. So I want to talk to you today about light, because light very easily overcomes the darkness. Amen? Just a little bit of light is enough to, to show us our way. That's what our passage is about today. But let me, let me give you some context uh, because you know, one of the things on my heart is to tell you that these aren't just a series of random passages that are not related to each other. Luke's trying to tell us a story. That's why this is called a narrative. So in, in recent chapters, we've found out that the disciples are called to do the work of the ministry. It's not Jesus is going to do it. He's going to leave. And they're going, he's given them power and authority to do the work. And he tells them not to focus on that power, but to focus on their salvation. supposed to be a testimony to that. And then he tells them some surprising news. A lot of people are gonna hate them for this and not to take it personally because the one that they hate really is Jesus Christ. So aside from all that, the gospel that Jesus brings is for everyone. Now this was news to the Jews. They thought that they they had an exclusive uh, grip on the gospel, but the gospel is for everyone. And God uses everyone for His purpose. We found that out in the story of the Good Samaritan. Mary and Martha showed us and we need to be careful that we sacrifice busyness for godliness and that our priority is to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what He has to say. So our priority is putting Jesus and His Word uh, on a very high level in our lives. And if we do that, then we learn how to pray properly and our prayers are focused on the living God, and that's what the Lord's Prayer was all about. Doing His will in our lives. And, and by the way, forgiving the way that we've been forgiven. We should never forget of what we've been delivered from. And as God has forgiven us, that is supposed to flow from us to the people around us. And if we do that, and if we depend on the help and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can keep our house clean. And it's important to have a clean house because when we allow other things into the house, it gets messy and dangerous and evil. So we need to fill our house with Christ. So last week we found out that a clean house can be dangerous. This week we're going to hear that a dark house can be dangerous as well. So, matter of fact, uh, I, I want to just... Our question for the day is also the title of our sermon. What are you letting in? What are you allowing into your house? Light or darkness? So this is what are you letting in? This is actually part 32 of our ongoing series in Luke. And I just want to remind you, we're not even halfway through yet. So I'm I'm plotting on part 100 at some point, so. Well, our our passage today is arranged in in a triad. There are three things that Jesus wants to show us. The first thing is that there is one blessing to be had. Uh, matter of fact, in this entire chapter, there are two judgments that are about to be levied on those who reject Jesus Christ, and there are three lamps that we see. So let's take a, a look at this one blessing that we have. So Jesus has done, now, remember, keep this in context. Jesus has just done this teaching on the demons being thrown out, and if, you know, if, the, if the house remains empty, then seven of them come back, and, and all these things are, are on, on the minds of the crowd, And in verse 27, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast in which you nursed. So it's a typical crowd, isn't it? I mean, they've gone to, wow, that's really awesome, to, you know, the Pharisees going, oh, it's not so awesome, it's evil. Oh, it's evil. Yes, it's evil. But now Jesus has responded to that, and there's, there's some energy here. There's some excitement. And at least one person in the crowd has been listening to what he says. Probably more, but we know there's one, and that person is removed, is moved to respond to the truth. And this woman's voice rises up above the crowd. Now, we've all been in that type of crowd where all of a sudden you can hear one voice for whatever reason or another, and it's this woman in this case. And she's being bold because Jewish tradition kind of stated that in a mixed crowd, women should be silent. So she's she's outspoken. And she wants to acknowledge the teaching. She wants to compliment Jesus Christ. So she pronounces this blessing. Now, another Jewish tradition was that if you wanted to praise somebody, you would bless their mother. That's what this woman's doing. So she, Jesus takes the opportunity, as he does in so many cases, to teach. Now, we've got to be careful with the wording here. Uh, verse 28, uh, but he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and, and keep it. This isn't a rebuke. He's not going, no, that's not a blessing. Jesus is kind of acknowledging it, and he wants to point out to something that is infinitely greater than what this woman has said. And I think if, if we were to make it, put it in modern terms, Jesus would have said, yeah, that's a blessing, but let me tell you a far greater blessing than anything that you're thinking about right now. And what he utters, It is an echo of a theme that runs through Scripture. We've heard these things before. In Luke 8, we find out that blessings go to those who hear and do the Word. In Luke 6, everyone who hears His words and does them is counted as wise. In James 1.22, but doers of the Word, uh, not just hearers, are the ones who are holy. In Deuteronomy 6, it's in the Old Testament, And it's in the New Testament. In Deuteronomy 4, keep God's words and do them, that's wisdom. And in Deuteronomy 28, we see be careful to do the commandments. So what Jesus is saying is, well, you're responding to my teaching. There is an appropriate response to the teaching of the Word of God, and it's not praise. It's not, gee, that was great. It is obedience. It is appropriating the truth of what he says into our lives. Obedience brings a blessing. So, what he's saying is, you got to do more than just talk about being a Christian. Your life has to be a witness, it has to be a testimony to the fact that you have been redeemed, the fact that you have been transformed, the fact that you have been regenerated. You need to be a walking billboard to the presence of Christ in your life. So the one blessing that we see in this entire chapter, and it's an incredibly profound chapter, that one blessing rises up out of obedience out of listening to the Word and doing it. Jesus demands obedience to his teaching. But just a few minutes earlier, the crowd wanted a sign. They were saying, show us proof. We're a little bit confused because what we're hearing from you sounds pretty good, but what we're hearing from our leaders over here is not so good. So we need some proof. If Show us some proof, and then we will listen to you. They want proof. And what they're going to get is judgment. Jesus, I think, just knocks their socks off here. So the, the blessing is in obedience. The one blessing. Let's take a look at these two judgments, starting in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Now more people are coming. And, and, and they want proof. And, and you know, everybody's like, we see a sign, and then they're holding their breath. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? So Jesus says, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The crowd demands a sign. Now, let's just talk about this for a second. Because the reason the crowd has gathered is because they've heard of the signs and wonders that he did. They just watched him cast out a demon. And they're saying, that's not enough. We know you've done all this stuff, but we need to see a little bit more. When I was home with my kids, we'd do something that they thought was fun. How would they respond? Daddy do it again. Do it again. Now, that was, that was love between us. This crowd's not really expressing love. They're putting demands on Christ. The crowd wants more. Jesus says, literally, you want a sign? I'm going to give you the sign of all signs. Keep your eyes open. Watch me. Watch what I do. I'm going to show you a sign like you never believed. And he calls it the sign of Jonah. Well, you when know, we take a look back at the book of Jonah, uh, this is not really Jesus saying, okay, l- listen, everybody, I'll do it. <laughs> it's him saying, let me remind you of a couple things. Let's talk about Jonah. And if you understand the book of Jonah, the crowd at that point, go, wait a minute. We're not going to talk about Jonah, are we? You know, our brother over here does some counseling, and sometimes when you're doing counseling and you're reading from Scripture, the book of Job will come up. And half the people, when I mention Job, will look at me and look at John and go, oh no, not Job. Okay, well, Jonah was kind of the same way, because Jonah was called by God. He was a prophet. He was, he was a man who spoke God's Word. He was called by God to go to Nineveh and, and preach God's Word to him. What did Jonah do? He ran the other way. He said, I don't want to do that. Why? Because he didn't like the people in Nineveh. I mean, they were the oppressors. They were, they were the ones that were subjugating God's people. They were the enemy. Why would he go preach God's Word to the enemy? So he runs the other way and that doesn't work out so well. He ends up in the belly of a whale and he's there for three days. The whale spits him out on the shore headed towards Nineveh. Jonah finally realizes that, that he's got no choice, he's got to go where God's sending him, God's going to get him one way or the other. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches, and what happens? The people of Nineveh repent. And Jonah is mad. He's upset. It's an incredible ending to the book of Jonah. Go take a look at it this afternoon. Sitting out there looking over the city. Totally upset. And he says to God, I knew that if I preached your word, those people would repent. Now look what you've done. And last we see of Jonah, he's still sitting there mad. Here's a guy that was used by God prior to going to Nineveh. He knew he was a prophet. He had a gift of prophecy. God said, you're going to use this gift over here. He's going, no, I'm not. I'm not using my gift that way. uh -uh, God, you gave me the gift. It's mine now. I'll use it the way I want to use it. And God said, really? See how that works out. He uses the gift. God does a miracle. Jonah's upset. So Jesus is saying, Remember Jonah. There was a sign in the middle of Jonah's story that I'm going to duplicate in a fantastic way that you never thought possible. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified, dead and buried. I'll be in the tomb for three days, and I will come out. Jonah came out of the whale. He was alive when he went in the whale, he was alive when he came out. I'm going to die and be resurrected that's a sign that you're going to see. You want a sign? There's your sign. But Jesus is not only going to give them a sign, He tells them what the response of any sign should be. It's repentance. So we need to understand for, for those people that would tell you that we need signs and wonders that if they're not manifesting themselves in the church that something's wrong with the way we're doing things. Signs were never meant to entertain the church. They're never meant to nourish and edify the church. The signs are a warning. They're not there to amaze us. They're certainly not there to affirm us as Christians. But they're an indication of something that Jesus has been saying, that the kingdom of God has come near, and there's an appropriate response when the kingdom of God comes near. So the people that Jesus is talking to, they understand what he's saying. They might not fully understand the resurrection, but they're going, Jonah, wasn't he angry at the beginning of the book and angry at the end? Is he talking about us? This is surprising to some of them. And what is even more surprising is what he's about to say, because he's saying historically, God has used people other than the, his, his chosen people to bless people. The Jews were, were enthusiastically demanding this sign, and they hear some news that's kind of alarming to them. First, they hear that they're evil and not godly. And then they hear this, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, verse 30, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Saying, you guys are like Nineveh. You're an evil generation. But there's an opportunity to repent. See, and about that point, they're looking at each other and going, repent? Us? We're God's people. What do we have to repent of?" The story of us familiar to the Jews. They repented. God showed his miracles, showed his power. But he's not done. Jesus isn't done. He said, there's more here. Verse 31, the queen of the south, this is the queen of Sheba, this is one of the two judgments we're going to talk about, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here." Now we don't know much about the Queen of Sheba, but we do know where Sheba is. Here's a map that shows us the Mideast, it's right down there, the region around the Red Sea, and right there where modern day Yemen is, is where uh, Sheba was. Now uh, sometimes in Scripture it is called Saba, okay? We don't know a lot about the queen, but we do know this about the queen. She traveled a long way, and when she encountered the wisdom of God, she acknowledged it, and she honored God when she saw it. That's in Kings chapter 10. You can take a look later on this afternoon. So Jesus mentions the people of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba. Both of them are Gentiles. Whereas the Jews would think they're ungodly people. They're pagans. They're sinners. They're lost. And why is Jesus bringing these people up to this crowd? Well, we already heard why he brought the queen up. So that this pagan, this ungodly evil lady is more godly than the first century Jews. That's shocking. But Jesus isn't done shocking them. Because in verse 32 he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment. That's the second judgment. With this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is saying, the men of Nineveh repented when they heard a word of God, and you're not. Do you understand what's happening here? God calls for repentance. He calls for people to honor Him to acknowledge his wisdom, to recognize that he's the creator, the sovereign king over all creation, over all people. And that God has a gesture of love for everyone. Everyone who repents can come and be part of his family. His grace is available to everyone, but his wrath will fall upon those who reject him. So we see these two judgments one from the people of Nineveh the other from the Queen of the South both Gentiles both groups of pagans levied upon who? Upon God's people. All of them? No. Those who refuse to accept the word of God. How did the Jews get here? How do they get to this point where they thought they were God's people and weren't? I mean, they're convinced. It it, it happened slowly. It crept in. But by the time we get to the first century, it's become abundantly obvious. It shows up in their attitude. It shows up in their pride. It shows up in their arrogance. It shows up in the judgment that Christ is loving upon them. But it shows up in how they judge Christ. And it shows up in how they evaluate the Word of God and say, that doesn't apply to me. I know what the Word says, but... Fill in the blank. Even today. I mean, look at the reputation they have. Even today, we see the Pharisees as being angry, don't we? When we think about the Pharisees, they're pointing their finger, they're mad, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Usually the, the pictures that we see of them, they, they just look Unhappy. <laughs> judgmental they were called to be a blessing to the world they were protected by god they were provided for by god god was faithful to them he guided them he avenged them but they became inwardly focused they became self-centered they thought they thought they had a franchise on God. Instead of being a blessing, they became judge and jury to the world. And I'm here today to tell you that we need to be careful, that the church universal needs to be careful because all the world sees of God in us is anger, judgment, And self-righteousness. Condemnation. The world, brothers and sisters, sees an angry Christian. Yet the Scriptures tell us to avoid anger. To avoid malice. To avoid judgmentalism. To avoid pointing the finger. We'll be judged on that. Maybe not until our condemnation if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there's a place in heaven for you. But in the meantime, things can get very difficult. Things can become very hard. We need to change the image of the angry Christian into something more gentle. Jesus says we're supposed to be light. Jesus says we're supposed to be love. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching pacifism. There's a time for us to stand up. But I'll tell you something, it's not in Washington, D.C. There's a time for us to stand at the foot of the cross and declare Jesus Christ as the hope of the world and the light of the world. Matter of fact, Jesus talks about that when he describes these three lamps in the passage. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp, here's our first lamp. This is a physical lamp. It's symbolic, but it's physical. Puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Amen. We are the physical manifestation of that light. We are God's representative. We are saved. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ to be exemplars for the world. We're not saved to be hidden. When they talk about someone lighting a lamp and putting it on a stand, they're talking about God making us the light of the world. And that light is not to be hidden. Listen to me carefully. That light is not to be hidden. Right now everybody's saying, oh we need to get off social media. We need to go to the Christian social media. I've been there. They're all angry. Why in the world would we take the world's largest marketplace with over two and a half billion people in it and abandon it? Somebody has to be the light on Twitter and Facebook, and all those other evil places. God put us on a stand so that we can shine that light on the people who need to be illuminated, not just ourselves. We are bright, shining lights to the redeeming power of Christ. Amen. Here's our second lamp. Your eye is the lamp of your body, spiritual lamp. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. So the Jews had this saying about eyes. They said, a good eye was a generous one. There were a couple of sayings they had, a couple of applications. One of them was a good eye was a generous eye. The other one was, an evil eye was a stingy eye. Think about that one for a second. But it had other meanings. And one had to do with their behavior, how they comported themselves in public. If you were generous, you had a good eye. If you were stingy, you had an evil eye. But the one that Jesus is referring to here is if your eye is healthy, it's allowing the light to come in. If your eye is unhealthy, evil, It's keeping the light out. It wasn't working well. Not enough light was getting in. So Jesus is describing a healthy spirit and an unhealthy spirit. The healthy spirit is one that shines the light upon the inner man. and An unhealthy one is the one that keeps the light out. Jesus is saying, be sure to let the light shine in your spirit. Avoid the darkness. Be careful what you allow in. Don't let the darkness in. Listen to me carefully. We have the light in the world in us. Amen? If there's darkness coming in, where's it coming from? Outside of us. Outside of us. We have to make the conscious decision to allow the darkness in. And we need to understand that whatever is inside us is what will flow out of us when we're out in public. And if we allow darkness to come in, darkness is going to flow from us. If you eat bad food, the body's not going to respond well to it. Jesus says in verse 36, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now he's talking about the third lamp here. And the third lamp is you. Each one of you calls upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's me. He's saying whatever is inside the lamp is what is going to come out. You're, made, you're designed to be. You're, you're meant to be. Illumination to the world. Your purpose is to shed the light of Christ on the people around you. And you can only do that if you have light in. I've said it before. If you're watching something, if you're reading something, if you're listening to something that frustrates you, angers you, cause you to have ungodly thoughts about other people, that's the darkness. And that's the darkness that will flow from you. Let the light in. So with this this triad here this one blessing that we are all called to obedience you have to understand the challenge that Jesus is levying upon this crowd he's saying you're really not as holy as you think you are as a matter of fact there are people that you look down upon that will judge you if you're not careful I mean Jesus keeps on saying doesn't he the kingdom of God has come near it's the opportunity to repent The signs and wonders are opportunities to repent they're not taking it he keeps saying it they keep on saying no and the more he talks about their their struggle the angrier they get eventually it's going to turn on jesus completely they're going to try to kill him so we have this blessing we're called to obey we have these two judgments that those who reject the word of god will be judged perhaps by the very people that they themselves judged. And then we have these three lamps. We as believers are the lamps. We're the physical manifestation of Christ to the world. We will only reflect what we allow in. Our spirits will show what is filling us up. And our very bodies, our very selves are a witness. We are the only light, listen carefully, <laughs> we are the only light that the world will ever see as not coming from any other source. Truth, doesn't fl- Truth does not flow from anybody other than the people of God. And if the world is going to see the light of Christ, it's going to have to see it in us. That's why God puts us on the stand. So, what are you allowing? What are you letting in? Light or darkness? A dark house, brothers and sisters, can be just as dangerous as an empty house. And I'm here to tell you, I don't want to scare you, but there's a darkness falling on our land. Not tangible. It's not tangible yet. This one is creeping just as slowly as we saw that one in the Ten Commandments. Remember Cecil B. DeMille? how how will we respond see jesus tells the crowd there's darkness here and they respond in anger it didn't work their response didn't work the response that we're called to to show is repentance dependence upon god obedience to his word The only things that will flow from us are the things that we allow to flow into us. If you're listening today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. This would be the moment to confess your sins. Confess them as Lord and Savior and allow the light in. If you're a born-again Christian and you've been allowing some darkness in, repent. The kingdom of God has come near. He's closer than you ever thought possible, living inside you. Repent. Open your eyes and let the light in. Fill your spirit with Scripture. Fill your Scripture with people who understand what we're talking about here. Fill your lives with the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit and watch how we can stand against the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it's hard for us to listen to. And Lord, we all go through mental gymnastics. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. No, that doesn't apply to me. And I do it myself, Father. But in the end, I have to submit myself to your word. Oh, Father, may the Spirit in us call us each to that that submission, to be on our knees before you, To examine ourselves, not the people around us, Father, not the people we see on TV or hear on the radio or watch on the Internet, but to examine ourselves and to cry out, Make me holy, Father. Draw me unto you. Conform me to your image, Lord. Mold me and shape me until I become the lamp that you intend me to be. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us online today. We love you. We appreciate you. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. <laughs> John Kavak is here just to say thanks for spending some time with us. If you are blessed by the service, if you have prayer requests, I'd love to hear from you personally. You can email me at kuvakas at gmail.com, or you can visit our website at www.wbfva.org. Or you can come back to our YouTube channel, WBFVA, where you can view our complete live service. Or you can hear the sermon section of the service as well. We hope to hear from you. Hope to see you again. Have a great day and God bless.